0: Welcome back to another episode of the B2B 0 to 10 podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today I'm excited to welcome back DNX Ventures Eva Nahari back to the program. And you might be thinking to yourself if we're focusing on bootstrapping and business owners and why am I bringing a venture capitalist back to the program? Well, I'll tell you a couple of reasons. One, Eva is on the front lines and the cutting edge of of new technologies and companies within the B2B space. And I think there's a couple of interesting points there. One is potential business ideas, right? Or areas you can move your business into. And secondarily, you know, what technologies are out there that allow you to help improve your business today, either through efficiency or through growth or a combination of the two? And then the second conversation we have is all around bootstrapping versus raising. And obviously, she's going to have a perspective coming from the venture capital side. But I think you find the conversation interesting because we get into some of the timings and when it makes sense and what your goals and objectives are for the business and a lot of the things that we focused on the podcast in the past. So, anyway, uh, a lot of insightful information from Ava. She's super interesting. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of this episode. So if you do enjoy the podcast, please do share with your friends. And also, if you're not subscribed or you don't follow, please hit that subscribe or follow button to make sure you're notified when the the latest episodes do drop. Again, appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And now on to the interview.
1: Eva, welcome back
0: to the podcast.
1: Hi, Brett. I'm happy to be here.
0: That's great. I think I had to go back and look. It was a little longer than I thought. It was back on episode 95. You joined us for the first time, and that was not too long after you had joined DNX, right? You're still kind of getting your feet wet at at that point. And now you're seasoned pro, so we thought we'd have you back on to talk all things B2B and, you know, what's the future look like? But before we get there... Uh, for the folks who didn't catch the the first interview, why don't you just give a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today?
1: Well, I come from almost 20 years operational background. So I've been an engineer and engineering leader and other things. But most of my career before uh, VC was in product and go-to-market roles. And uh, the last nine years was with the, I would call it unicorn journey with Cloudera where we built the big data industry in one form or another across the world with the Fortune 500 companies. So it was a pretty amazing journey, both ups and downs, of course, as it is. But with that, I felt like I've experienced everything a product person can ever experience. So I looked for something new, how to give back from all that experience. And I crossed paths with Q Motivala at DNX Ventures and decided that this was my next chapter. So now I'm here that's
0: awesome yeah because I mean, every place you've gone has been a unicorn so it makes sense <laughs> it's that easy to, to grow a business right that quickly so now and i know the last time we talked about that journey it was super cool and i'd encourage people to go back and listen to it because it really was an interesting journey is the best way to describe it so now you've moved into the world of, of b2b investing and and mentoring so You know, I I don't know if you've had any deals closed that you can talk about, but just curious, you know, what, what are you focused on? You know, what have you been making your investments in?
1: Yeah, I'll talk about the ones that have followed my thesis going into DNX. So DNX focuses on B2B SaaS, first of all, and I come in with the cloud and enterprise, a little bit of ML angle. While the rest of the team can handle the retail and fintech and cybersecurity and deep tech that we also do, but I'm the cloud and enterprise SaaS kind of backend side of things. And what I saw coming in was more of a, I would say an after effect of digitalization which has been going on for quite some time, but fueled by the pandemic. That so way. it's not just me saying, but the pandemic got accelerated, uh, you know, it, it accelerated the digitalization by years. And in that, organizations have experienced challenges. Like, how do you meet your customer in a digital experience? How do you engage your customer? You know, if everything is in a digital room, how do you compete? It's much easier to switch from one vendor to another. How do you support a customer now that everything is digital and everything is SaaS, every time spent away from using your product, meaning going open tickets or whatever, spending time on long and tedious support calls is revenue lost. So how do you build in support into the experience? And companies are competing on customer experience to a much larger extent now in the same leveled play field of digital world. So uh, how do you, how do you cut through the noise. How do you reach the customers? How do you market yourself? And how do you understand the customer's intent and decision process? All that has come as a big Christmas stack (laughs) on my desk to (laughs) dig into. And I have made a few investments in that space. So the first one was uh, squadcast.com, which basically democratizes site reliability engineering. And Here's the, here's the point, right? As you compete in a digital space on customer experience, when things are not working, you lose business. It's not like someone downloaded your software, deployed it on-prem and they have the problem of making it work through support with you. No, they come to you and expect it to work. And if it doesn't, they go elsewhere. So SRE has come to a core KPI. High up in organizations to a whole different level than before. And that's why SRE already stretched and under invested teams usually needs help. They need help to get the visibility they deserve, uh, to get investments. They need help from engineering to up their reliability awareness and culture. And you do that by democratize the process and squadcast.com has a fantastic workflow-based UI-guided tool, SaaS tool, for this. Uh,
0: And and you said SRE? Maybe I should know what that acronym stands for. Side (laughs)
1: Reliability Engineering. It's the guys and gals who keep things working.
0: In a digital world, it's absolutely critical, right? There is no (laughs) 99.2%. It's got to be close to 100%.
1: And there are some uh, older systems in this, like incident management systems, but they are designed for IT. And then it becomes IT's problem. But we're not in a world where IT is the culprit. You know, everyone is involved in the process of keeping a 24 seven service
0: online. Yeah, it's so interesting. Just to go back to your first point too, at the pandemic causing the acceleration of digital, right? Mm hundred percent, right? We've been talking about this for years. It's coming, it's slow but B2B. Yeah, it's not. We're different. Our customers aren't digital. They don't want to engage with it. That's just wrong. We just didn't have any other choices. Now, all of a sudden, you're right. I, I think that's why I'm so bullish on the small business segment that can be nimble, that can adopt best practices right. for digital and connect with customers now where these other big companies and their silos are trying to still align sales and marketing when that <laughs> battle's gone. Right now, it's how are we connecting and with them so right. yeah yeah i don't your timing couldn't have been better coming into this that's this space <laughs> i think so okay so so that's interesting um what else so is it all in the back end that you're looked at or
1: um no but the the second one is definitely in the safe space uh, okay. but a little bit later on in the journey so um, now you have a working uh, website <laughs> or, or service, and then you have customers, and they need questions answered. Issues they experience issues, and they need resolution now. Like, how do you preempt support? Yes. And Quark Q U A R K dot AI Quark dot AI is the answer, in my in my opinion. <laughs> In my not so humble opinion, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's why you're here. Um, why here. Uh, but they—they they are uh, a genius team. Like uh, founders were like founding team of Informatica, and and uh, you know one of the guys working on the grandfather project that later became Siri. You know, uh, he has okay. fifty patents in NLP mm-hmm. and other things, and you know this awesome team has built a genius. Um, answer engine, I would call it, you know, that meets the customers where they are and you just, you know, type in your question in natural language and it's not a search engine. I'll okay. make that very clear. It's matching it first, it dissects your question into what you're actually asking. So it's like cognitive NLP, if you will. And then uh, it matches at against any previous answer in your organization, wherever it may be. So pulling it from databases or data sources or anywhere, it doesn't matter? Anywhere really? you have repositories. And the data could be PDFs or Excel sheets or diagrams. They do computer vision too. And tables. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If it provided an answer in the past, it will pop up based on okay. how well it matches, right?
0: even if your answer was bad it's going to up,
1: No so. no there's a there's a resolution awareness <laughs> okay. as well. so it has yeah. to have
0: helped in the past you know <laughs> That's good yeah it makes sense cuz just thinking back to some of the data challenges of companies and the, the ability so this is kind of the next version of the chatbots a smarter version of You can you, chat.
1: can you can put it as a smart brain behind a chatbot yeah okay. they also they just added a chatbot interface but it's not like you have to set up the answers or you have to label your content, which takes like months. Yeah. Right. And then it gets stale. No, you don't have to do any of that overhead. It is a true deep learning model that you don't have to train yourself. So months and months of training or preparing data or, you know, just labeling is not necessary with this solution. So that's wow. the healing part, right? It just
0: works. Which- now it makes sense, right? Because we talk about having the data where you don't have to. Cl- you still have to clean it, but you don't. It can go pull it from wherever it is, and it's going to access it, so you don't have to consolidate, right? Is or is it still a better strategy at some point to consolidate, or is there just no need to do that anymore?
1: No need. You just yeah. you just let it flow through once. It doesn't even store it in that way.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've been advocating, especially from, again, the small side, that if you're building a company, you know, think about building the front end like e-commerce, right? Even if it's a service-based company, customers are doing their research. If you can get this mm-hmm. intelligence behind it that, Hey, I just want to answer this question. Boom. You got it. Right. Be there when they're ready. Right. Be, the, yep. the Be there ready. when they're ready. Exactly. And so build this up front. You don't have to have, you know, a hundred people in just reams of exactly. to do Not value. I'm super excited. I'm guessing both of these are more focused at enterprise to start, and then they'll make their way down to smaller businesses. Because I'm always looking for ways to kind of, I don't want to say hack it, but how do we take some of these solutions, just build it up
1: front, right?
0: So it doesn't have to come from and clean up and search for 32 different databases. I think
1: think the Squadcast one is for SMBs as well. Like, you can start out right there.
0: It has very
1: packaging for what size of company you are. So you can start out with a clean process that is based on best practices, you know, that keep on evolving. So that's definitely for SMBs as well.
0: Okay. Definitely going to check it out. And and the, I'm assuming that like Quark is also sales marketing upfront questions or even service, right? I've, I've got customer basically becomes your answer engine across the or the entire life cycle.
1: That is very observant. That's where I I see, you know, this is okay. not just for support. You know, it's any answer. Like organizations are stalled by not getting answers, right? Right. Well, this is a oh. this is an unlock your business engine.
0: Yeah. And even from an internal, right? So employees have questions on how to exactly. do something. I'm uh-huh. so seeing what All I'm right. seeing. Now. <laughs> I like it.
1: That's why that's I'm so excited, excited about Quark. That's dream team with a fantastic genius solution that will answer your questions throughout the work. Yeah, well, that's that's what I see. Definitely going to keep eyes on that one. All right. Any what else?
0: <laughs> well, else? I did a
1: I did a Series A with um, Micrometa. That is, uh, you know, I just love that team culture. And you know how, how big of a fan I am of team culture making companies succeed. They're the, okay, I'm going to exaggerate because I'm so excited about them, but they're the fourth cloud vendor. They're like the cloud for the edge.
0: Okay. So Explain they that for in English for <laughs> us lay people.
1: <laughs> so imagine you have real-time use cases, SLAs, where you don't have time to wait for data to come from the edge, whatever it may be, like a scanning thing in a store or uh, a device or a shoe. (laughs) You know, you don't have the time to wait for it to go back to the back end of cloud, like through pretty fast fibers, but not fast enough for massive amounts of data. And wait for that to process and then return with the result to the edge to update the customer or consumer or... Or store or whatever that needs that answer now. Think of it as an opportunity to offload the cloud with massive data processing at the edge. You can do streaming, SQL, graph, search, whatever, but at the edge. So it's almost like the state layer for CDNs. They have a partnership with Cloudflare, amongst others, and it's a write-optimized distributed data layer. So it's who's, really, who's really gonna be the big
0: benef- beneficiary yeah. for this? Who's the who's the best use cases for or who would be using this? Retailers that need real-time information at the customer level or yeah. supplying those on?
1: Like there's a lot of retail use cases, there's gaming use cases, there is uh, you know, restaurants, if they those scanners where you scan your card and if, if the network doesn't work. Towards the back-end cloud solution, they can't charge, they can't charge their customers anymore. So they need somewhere to have like a (laughs) an immediate business enabling layer. Okay. So that you don't have to wait for cloud to work.
0: Interesting.
1: But there's a ton of use cases in this space. There's also the other one, which is, you know, if you bring all your data to cloud and process it there. your depending on your use case, your your costs may just skyrocket, right? So, it's a way to offload the pre-processing of massive IoT data coming in, so you only send the necessary parts uh, to the cloud to keep your cl- uh, cloud costs down. So, there's many use cases for this platform. Uh, but so, it's just definitely- really
0: getting smarter and smarter with data and less effort mm-hmm. to to access it and only get what you need. That's exactly. So interesting. Okay. And I I know I've also seen you quite a bit in the customer service space. (laughs) Is that also an area of focus or maybe that's a good transition to what, you know, what are you looking for at the early part of next year? What's what's kind of next on the horizon, do you think?
1: Yeah. So I've been out there talking about, you know, helping customers or helping helping organizations help their customers uh, in this new world where support, customer success, product all blurs to one team that will serve a customer journey through an online competitive experience. It's all about the customer journey. And these siloed organizations can't really have their own solutions anymore. It has to either be integratable into the product experience or be able to capture these intent triggers along the way and then serve this Data or these insights across all the stakeholders. Like customer success is the new revenue center, and I, I see this over and over again. How now customer success has a quota, <laughs> and it rolls into other sales under the sales organization. But the tools for you know leads in marketing, and then go to sales, and then goes to support. You know that journey has shifted, but the tools for serving that has not. So I'm more evangelizing that even, you know, the marketing to sales have shifted to just revenue operations. It's automation, it's digital, and then you have these engagement tools, and then it should pretty much be automated what you do with those insights from engagement, right? So organizations are shifting very rapidly, but traditional sales and marketing and support tools are not blurring the way that the organization need to, to compete in okay. this new, new era. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I a hundred percent agree. Since, you know, I spanned those different roles for years. And so, yeah, it just, I mean, I got it when the tech, the MarTech stacked, right. And then the sales tech and customer education tech and everything. And at some point you just can't have a hundred siloed technologies and, yeah. Even along the, the databases, I'm still trying to have somebody tell me why you need more than one database, right? Mm. There's a world of customers that can buy from you. So call them prospects. And then there's customers and then former customers. Why do you need a marketing database and a customer database and an ERP no. and it's just why? <laughs> yeah.
1: The world can't be segregated anymore. It has right. to come together. And it's all about following the customer journey, meaning onboarding. Okay, who needs to be involved in that? Yeah, it's everybody. <laughs> you know, you need to on- have product, engineering, you know, customer success, which is now revenue and growth. And then you just have different stages of the customer and you need a tool that supports that growth journey to yeah, all no. the stakeholders who are involved in every step of the way.
0: Yeah. And I love the way you frame It, it is around the customer's journey. I mean, the really good companies have been out in front of this for a while understanding that, but but even look at, right, customer success probably shouldn't be in sales. And maybe someday we'll get away from calling different people sales and success. And again, we use the e-commerce, right? Do e-commerce companies have salespeople? I don't think so. Maybe they've got specialists that can help you get through the process or concierge that, that can answer questions. And same thing with the success. I don't know if I like the quota, I get it, right? But if you're helping that customer unlock the value of your product, they're going to buy more. And are you working or educating the customer on what else that they could have, right? Because I still, in even small and large companies, they're still very you know siloed, but regimented about, this is how we do an upsell. This is how we do cross-sell. This is how we do retention. Yeah, and exactly. it just seems... A better, there's a better way coming. Is I what
1: I'm going to go on a guessing path here, and like I think organizations should organize themselves based on customer journey. So like the onboarding organization, or the early adoption organization, or the growth organization, or you know, maintenance, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. No, not maintenance, just growth. <laughs> I only want growth. <laughs> yeah,
0: 100%. Well, there's somebody who can take care of the maintenance. Now, I'm with you, because even when I talk to a lot of these smaller business, either owners, founders, and when they start thinking about, well, I'm expanding, do I need to get salespeople? I'm like, well, take a step back and look at that, that journey, right? Where is the customer? When do they need stuff? Figure out what those tasks and activities are. Hopefully you can automate them, right? And provide yeah. a better experience, but if not, don't worry about what you call them or what they do. Just figure out if these tasks need to get done. Then you can organize the way it, it makes sense. And, right. and I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. And I, it was an Irish uh, founder, but this is like his third. He scaled a software company. Now he's in climate control or climate preservation or you know fighting climate change and. He had talked about his journey. With his first organization was just really heavy with with salespeople, right? He needed salespeople to get the message out, convert, sell. He said he uses now he's got three 30x content people, right, to tell the story. But what he's long-winded answer to where my point is, <laughs> you know, he he basically created micro processes across the customer journey yes. to make sure that they had the right specialist in each of those areas to help the customer, I'm like. Genius, right? I mean, it seems so obvious, but we're so force-fed the conventional, right processes and tasks and teams and everything. So, yeah, uh, I'm super excited about what you're seeing out there. So, I'm I'm with you. I think the more we get to what the customer wants, (laughs) right? They don't want to talk to us unless you're going to add some value to that. You know, in that in that process. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I can talk about this topic all day, but I did want to get the other topic with you that we kind of went a little back and forth and I'm not sure where you stand. VC, I'm assuming you're all for raising funds, but uh, I was just curious, your take bootstrap or or raise? And you kind of said it depends. Or I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's your thoughts?
1: So to buy myself some time. Answering that question, I am going to add one more thing on what I am looking for next year. I okay, am yes. going to put on my, I am going to put on my ESG goggles. So I am still going to do the same areas. DNX is going to do our same domain expertise areas, but we're going to try to take our responsibility and do it more with the ESG lens.
0: ESG is
1: uh, environment, social impacts, or social and governance. So, okay, has this product been? produced in a responsible way? Um, you know, are the teams inclusive and diverse? I'm still working out that thesis. So I would love to come back and talk about that next year yes. when I have our goals more set up. But I do want to plant a seed that, you know, DNX should be associated with we take our responsibility to the future.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And I think again, we've, I don't know if you and I have had the conversation, but that's where it's going. Companies and people are going to buy from companies that are exactly. socially responsible. And it's just not the brand anymore. It's the people behind the brand and right. Interesting. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you come back once you get that crystallized a little bit and formulized. Awesome.
1: So I look forward uh, to it already. So bootstrap. Now I bought myself some time. So <laughs> here's, um, here is what I think. So. There are two kinds of entrepreneurs, the first timers and the ones who've done it before. And the first timers is what I'm going to talk about before I give you an answer. So first time entrepreneurs who bootstrap and succeed are very few because you need perspective. You need help with things you haven't experienced before. I I say this perhaps in a, like you have to do this, but it's with kindness and with care. Like there's so many mistakes you can do and you need a sounding board. And yes, you can surround yourself with advisors, but if, if someone has a stake in the game, they care on a whole different level. And being a CEO is a very lonely job. You may have co-founders that you love and are your friends. You may have CTOs and CPOs and whatever, but sometimes you have to make really, really tough choices. You know, I had one portfolio where the one of the co-founders passed away. You know, what do you do? I had another one where the visions didn't align after two years. What do you do? Um, And it got hostile, you know, or... You get an acquisition offer. Of course, it's your decision, but you might want to discuss that with someone, but it's confidential. So who can you discuss with? You know, you, you, you can't just spill the beans to anyone. You may have a hard time finding a hire. Like, how do I hire my first sales leadership? You may not have the access to all the customers that you want to go after. There's a lot of value in a VC partnership for a first time entrepreneur because They've been around the block. They have a stake in your success. They want you to be successful uh, or they should you know, pick your VC right. But they can open doors both to hiring the right people that complements you or that's done it before and can help you. They can open doors to customers or if you suddenly want to do PLG, you know, and you've done enterprise, like how do you shift? Who's done this before? Maybe your network is an enterprise, not PLG. Like, where do you, how do you even make an offer letter to a CMO, right? Like all these things, you may find good resources online, but there's nothing like the personal support that you can call 24 seven. It's like your personal support line and coach through this. If, I think, if you pick the right partner. If you pick the right partner. And that's, that's, we can talk about VC dating, right? Right how you select your VC. But I think it's very hard to succeed on your own without doors opening for you before you run out of runway.
0: Yeah. So maybe a better question for you, because again, it's hard for me to argue with anything you just said there, but I think at at the right time, right? The more revenue you have, the bigger you get the company bootstrapped, the more leverage and valuation you're going to get from that partnership. Mm. So maybe a better question is, and I know there's seed investors and you may not have money and you have to build a, some of these technology products. are gonna take money. You can't probably can't bootstrap mm. that, but just in general, you know, when is, you know, I'm, a, I always argue like the five, 10 million at the 10 million, you get to 10 million, you've optimized everybody's interest in you at this point, assuming it's a big enough market and it's a newer technology. So maybe even five from a VC standpoint. But if you're going to take money at the seed level, right, you're already giving up your company and you really haven't proved, you right, you don't have enough of those customers yet. So I don't know if I'm t- dancing around this, but I'll throw it back to you from a, from a, you know, the best time from the founder standpoint, and I know there's no one size fits all, right? What's, what's kind of the best, best <laughs> case scenario for them?
1: There's like uh, founders with an idea who sit on their previous job still. They haven't jumped ship yet. They have this great idea. They have a little plan. That's not the time where I would go and raise money because no one will, I I can't say no one. There's always, okay, let me say this first. There's always a match. You can always find a match. It depends on how long time it takes to find it. And what obscure conditions? <laughs> under what <laughs> obscure conditions it is a match? But I can only speak for me. Okay, let's get okay, That's fair. Um, so I would not invest in someone who hasn't even showed the commitment, like jump the ship, believe the the idea and the mission so much that you're going to take on this crazy journey of an entrepreneur. You're willing to sacrifice a lot of your life to do it. And I I can't, I can't commit if you can't, right? So that's yeah. the first criteria. It's like, you have to do this full time. It can't be a side gig. I don't believe in that.
0: And not even, it sounds like not even it just even a full-time commitment, but somebody that's fully invested and believes that this, if you're not, you think, yeah, this is probably going to work. You want somebody that's like, I'm convinced, I think, well, at least we're going to solve this problem. It may pivot a little bit along the way, but somebody that's committed more than just a job, right?
1: Yeah. I want someone, like, I love this answer when I ask like, why are you doing this to yourself? It's one of my first questions in any intro with an entrepreneur. Like, why did, why are you doing this to yourself? Because I know what it takes. I live with an entrepreneur 24 seven. So I know every part of it. And the answer is, I, I can't see myself do anything else. I have to do this. That's the best answer I got in. Then I know, like they have to see this through. That's what I want. That's commitment. That's like, no matter if you, Mr. or Miss or, you know, them, <laughs> uh, VC, no matter if you're on board, then I'm gonna do this anyway. That's what I wanna feel. So unless you feel that, I'm not gonna invest in you. And then it would be great if there are some design partners signed up. You don't have to have paying customers, but you have to have, and it can't be your like mom and pop shop. (laughs) Like my uncle's shop signed up for this. It, It has to be something real. That an organization who who has priorities and goals are actually spending the time with you because they need this so much. There needs to be design partnerships, call it beta or alpha or whatever, but uh, there needs to be something collaborative with recognized organizations that are willing to spend time with you just figuring this out that, that is appealing. So bootstrapping through those faces is probably required, but I thought you came at me with the question of like, should I bootstrap all the way to my first million? And then it becomes more complex because can you move fast enough with your resources to avoid that someone else comes and beats you to it? Right. Often these bootstraps entrepreneurs take twice, I, I'm doing this now, twice as much time to get somewhere versus the ones who get funding early. And it's just like, yeah, you can bootstrap and run yourself, but will you win then? Or will yeah, you the, too late?
0: Yeah, no, it's a it's, it's good point, especially in, in new and emerging markets, right? I guess there's other business people that just start, they're going to go take a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. maybe that's less and i guess maybe this even goes back to the the fun first of the uh of the founders what do they want (laughs) right is this a, a lifestyle business they're probably not talking to you because they don't need to and don't want to you know take over the world with with the product but most of the folks that are going into this do want a you know bigger outcome i guess there's the the two pieces and you've already filtered that with the passion and commitment right there's a professional fundraisers that all they're worried about is their next fund or round, you know, which I get you have to do that. But then there's the others that are, it's just a necessary evil because I'm still plugging away at the, the product of the solution and driving this towards a conclusion.
1: You know, because it, it happens. It will yeah. happen, especially if you're, uh, you know, early stage like we focus on
0: true true my last question for you i know we're running out of time and i do appreciate you taking this much time is once you make that investment in these entrepreneurs what are some of the biggest gaps you see and maybe it's not one size fits all but is there a couple two or three things that you know you need to help them to transition that journey right that that's what you're there for You're help their sports so what are some of the biggest challenges that your your founders are facing when they come on board is it too general?
1: <laughs> well, I only have one year experience in, oh, true. in seeing that. Um, I have been in a startup or two or three myself. And I'm looking at my husband's startup too. Like I have some data points, but I, I would keep it as a limited insight not to Fair exaggerate. But <laughs> I think one thing that I hear across the board is hiring, like getting people to s- to join your mission. You may believe in it, but it's not only about your journey. It's about finding people at the right time who want to take that risk in their point in time. They may have a perfect resume, but they may not want to do the same thing again, right? They they have moved on to something or there may be uh, like, it's been really hard hiring here in the US. So now they have to go and hire somewhere else. How do you do that? How do you, do you, Do you set up an office? Do you have remote consultants? What what do you do? So hiring and finding the right people. And even like, you can't just say like, oh, we're doing this and you should be interested in us, right? It's this other kind of selling that needs to happen. It's like, you have to get to know this person and their motivation. And hiring and recruiting, if you're a founder, you might not have done recruiting before. You might have done interviews, but you haven't really recruited, which is like, how do you sell your company and you and the team to people to follow you, want to join you? It's not about like, oh, you should see the obvious that I see and join me. It's it's about understanding people and their careers and motivations. And you know, it's just a whole lesson learned in that space that I've seen, plus finding the right candidates. You yeah. have your network, but then you when you emptied your network, what do you do? Right? So that's where no, the BC right. comes in and helps a lot. Um, there is the other side of it is customer development, which is why we focused on, you know, a lot of corporate networks. And I even brought the Clodera executive advisor board over to (laughs) DMX. Like I brought my network and we now have an executive advisor board for all our portfolio companies. So that's pretty cool. It's working out great. So customer development is really hard for startups once you've emptied your own network, what do you do? other networks. Your LinkedIn profile is only subscribed by so many, right? Right. So those are the two we focus on because we know that's hard in early stages. So customer development, helping with recruiting, opening up our networks, uh, and, of course, that first important part of entrepreneur growth.
0: Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Hiring... Not even just finding the right person, but you're hiring for the right position, yeah. <laughs> right? And you have to, what are you prioritizing? Your every business will be a little bit different, and maybe you don't need the salesperson. Maybe you need that marketing person that's going to do the, the content. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I think that is a really overlooked aspect of this, is especially in the job market we're in now, right? People yeah. we'll
1: have choices and more, and and it's more people. It's easy can- to switch jobs because you don't change your commute, and everybody can work from home. You know. I, I think what I said, like writing that offer letter to a CMO, it's, it's no kidding. Like if you have a technical background, if you've never started a startup before, do you know how to interview for a CMO? Like what, what it takes? Probably do you not. know how to attract a fantastic one? Do you, do you even know what was the salaries? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But offer yeah, letters no, right. entails that whole you know, recruiting process of the right candidate for setting you up for a great Series A. Like, you, you can't just hire anybody. You need someone who will complement the team with a background and door-opening potential that is really, really appealing. That's what you need to think about. And I think there's more to this recruiting process than just recruiting the way you have experienced in your in your yeah. past. It's, it's like you need to build a company How do you do that?
0: One step, one block at a time, and hopefully with some strategic guidance that, because those are the mistakes you don't want to make, because I think that's the biggest one, at least I've seen with the small businesses is, man, you make the wrong hire, it's an 18-month mistake in a lot of cases. and so much time and cost-wasted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, anything else that we didn't touch on that we should have chatted about today?
1: How awesome it is to be here
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's always great to have you back on the podcast like I said we'll make you a frequent uh, frequent guest because then you can keep us abreast of what's what's coming next for the the B2B world and future yeah. opportunities and uh, all that good stuff So all right. if so if folks want to find you what's uh, what's the best place for them to track you down in you and DNX uh,
1: LinkedIn is a good place Eva nahari no nothing special there
0: just look we will link to it too okay. but yeah.
1: um but otherwise like go to dnx.vc and find our email address there we we are that caring vc who reads those emails and responds you know awesome so, that's a good one. You've heard her.
0: <laughs> and I would suggest people check out your, your newsletter or your blog. I don't know how you oh, do yeah, it. It's, it's always interesting.
1: That's why I write about what I care about and what I think about things. So
0: It's a great read.
1: So you must view that. on Substack. Yeah. Oh, Thank wow. you.
0: Hey, not a problem. <laughs> All right. Always great to have you. We'll look forward to the next visit and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you, Brett. Thanks. My pleasure.